Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Yeah, figure, figure out what the fuck I was going to say. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. If it's Tuesday night, that means Greg and Ross are joining me. Gentlemen, welcome to our weekly show. Uh, let's start a little different. We've hit football a lot, and we'll go hit it in this podcast. But let's talk a little bit of basketball, and you know, we can sort of bat it around. But Greg and Ross, I was just pontificating off the air there. The ACC announced uh, the the basketball schedules, the way they do the uh, the nine round robin schedule. And Greg, I'll start with you. I think Carolina got probably the easiest schedule one could imagine if you base it just off. Uh, the one-stop road trips, Boston College, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Wake Forest. After a brutal slate this past season, Carolina's got it pretty easy next. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just you look at BC, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, uh, none of those teams really worry you. Um, I I guess with BC, it kind of depends on what Jerome Robinson and Kai Bowman decide to do, if they actually stay in the draft or not. Um, but there's really nothing from from Tech, Pitt, or, or Wake that scares you. Clemson will be a tough game. Clemson returns most of, of what they they had last year. They should be a pretty good team. And then even, I mean, you look at the other teams, and we, we know the um, home and away teams of, of Duke State, Louisville, Miami. Miami's you're losing some talent. Lonnie Walker uh, declared for the draft. Bruce Brown apparently is staying in the draft. Uh, Newton, the guy that hit the, the game winner against Carolina. Uh, Chapel Hill, uh, he, he graduated or is graduating. And so even that is less daunting than maybe it would have looked if, if Walker and Brown had decided to come back to school. Uh, you do have you know, the travel aspect. You know, th- those aren't necessarily easy road trips. I mean, Miami is a long way south. Boston College is a long way north. Uh, Pitt's up there as well. But, but yeah, in terms of winnability, uh, you have to like how that schedule sets up. Ross, the biggest thing, uh, and it was one of the first three posts on the message board, on Insecticon's message board, is no trip to Virginia. And that has been a tough place for Carolina of late. So they avoid that. Uh, your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I think it's pretty easy. Granted, like Greg said, it's going to depend a lot on who's at, in school uh, for all the teams, really. But uh, not a bad draw, at least uh, early on looking at it. Yeah, I think not having to go to um, Charlottesville is uh, makes it a lot easier for UNC, and they haven't won there since I started covering the Tar Heels, at least the last two games, um, for sure. And it's a tough place to play, and, and UNC always seems to struggle there and, and usually scores in the 40s. So having Virginia at home is an advantage for UNC, and then Virginia Tech seems like a pretty tough place to play. UNC lost there uh, this season, this last season, even though Virginia Tech was a, is a pretty good tournament team as well. So they get them at home and then, um, have Notre Dame at home and Florida state at home. And those are, you know, Florida state's been a tough place to play as, as well. UNC lost down there this year as well. So yeah, I mean, not much more to add other than what Greg said, the, the, the away games are against lesser opponents and the, the home games they have are against some of the, usually the traditionally better teams, even though UNC has had pretty good success against Syracuse across the board in the last, three or four years, but um, you know, it's setting up to be a to be a, a pretty good slate for UNC. And, and until, we t- until we see the actual schedule and the dates, we won't know the challenges like 
last year with the three games in five days or those long stretches and, and weird road trips. So there's still another set of um, of release by the ACC that we'll look forward to. Yeah, and you know we we, we talk about the the conference road games. Uh, but I think it's important to note that by no means is the schedule easy, especially when you look at the non-conference slate like Roy Williams tends to do. He stocks it. And, I mean, you got Stanford, who while is not an elite Power 5 team, um, you know, Jared Hass has, has done a good job with his teams. They're going to play two teams uh, in the Las Vegas Invitational, two of Michigan State, Texas, and UCLA. They got Kentucky and Chicago. They've got Gonzaga at the Smith Center. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of tough games on that schedule, even though that some of the road games have kind of broken their way. Yeah, great. Greg, do we, know which t- do we know which teams are going to play in Vegas? I know we talked about today about playing two two teams, but we don't know which, which two out of the now, three. No, I don't know the bracket quite yet. But, um, yeah, I would, I would just assume that Michigan State would be in the other game, but that's, that's just a guess on my part. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. And that's the kind of Thanksgiving weekend, 22nd, 23rd of November, UCLA, yep. Mission State, Texas. That was announced, I believe, last Thursday. So pretty cool road trip there for the Tar Heels to kind of kick off the 2018-19 season. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. The non-conference schedule for Carolina is always pretty rough. It's not like some conference schools that have the easy road on non-conference and then their tough games are – you know, within the ACC, I mean, Greg, Carolina's, the ones you mentioned, I mean, Kentucky, Gonzaga, uh, Stanford, like you said, if they get Michigan State, I mean, Roy Williams likes to load it up. So it's good for the Hills not to have such a brutally tough ACC slate. Yeah, and I think really what it what it does, too, is by the time they get to the ACC season, I mean, they're they're battle-tested. And I think that's going to be, be really important for – uh, not only the the five man, whether that's Sterling Manley or Garrison Brooks, uh, but also for the freshmen, and as well as whoever ends up playing point guard. Uh, I think you'd have to say Kobe White may be the the leader in the clubhouse there, uh, as as the potential guy there. But Seventh Woods, of course, is the veteran, and you know, if he elevates his play and has a good off season, he could be the guy. But they're going to get plenty of work in the non conference season. Uh, to prepare for ACC play, and that that's ultimately what matters. Winning that ACC regular season championship is what Roy likes to do, uh, and then of course that gets you ready for for postseason. And I, I want to get this out. I want to get this out here now. I don't see a way that Nasir Little doesn't start. And that guy's tearing it up here in the All Star games. I mean, he could be UNC's best player next year. Um, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Mm, Greg, I'll let you take that one. I I, I see a way <laughs> that he doesn't start. He's a, I mean, he's a B. I do see a way because of Cam Johnson he comes back, but God, he is. Nasir Little looks like you know he's a guy who's big enough to kind of bang down low, and he's just a dominant player and showing he can play some defense. It's just gonna be very, very hard for a guy of that caliber to to not start. I mean, he could be a top, you know, top five pick next year. Well, I think the the way to look at it though is uh, a lot of us do this, but we get wrapped up in whether or not somebody starts. Um, yeah, but it, you know, if you go back to 05, you know, Marvin Williams did not start a game, and you can make the case that that he was one of the best players on that team. Um, and clearly, he was. He was the highest drafted guy, uh, but he played a ton of minutes, and there really was a, you know, at least a six man rotation on that that team, um, even though one of the guys couldn't start. And so, I, I don't doubt that Little is going to play, and he's going to play a lot. It's going to be a very important cog to the team. 
Um, I just have a hard time seeing him right now being in that starting lineup to begin the year. But you know, if, if those bigs don't come around, then I could conceivably you know, see Roy going back to that small lineup. But as we've talked about before, the way the season ended uh, with that loss to A&M, I just have a hard time seeing Roy uh, you're going back to that small lineup if he can if he can avoid it. Let's say this: I, mean, I think he'll be top two, top three or four in minutes for UNC. You know, right around that twenty nine to, to thirty two range in minutes per game. I think he'll be up there. I don't know if he'll be thirty ish, but I think he'll definitely be twenty five to twenty six minutes a game. And as long as Roy Williams doesn't go to that old Bill Guthridge alphabetical starting lineup. <laughs> um, like they did back in 98 that was 97 98 ross probably before your time i mean where they worked in shaman williams and some of those Back guys yeah that was just uh did not end well that's still one of the best carolina teams not to win anything or not to win national championship but got a ways to go ross you you still might see nas little in the in the starting lineup i just i don't see it especially if cam johnson yeah. comes but i mean i get greg greg's points super valid you would think they go big with a, with a brooks or a manly and then you you don't think that cam, uh roy is gonna bench cam for a freshman it's just like it's just the talent level I, uh, you see with and just the physical specimen you see um it's just kind of makes it hard to kind of fathom you know not playing a not starting a guy like that yeah, one we know is going to start, or two we know will start without doubts. Luke May and Kenny Williams, and then the rest, yeah. whatever. It doesn't ultimately matter. Like you said, as long as it, as long as they're getting plenty of minutes, and Roy's guys seem to always get that. Let's sort of switch gears and, and let's talk about football. And Greg and Ross, you guys were there today, and we've talked about the quarterback position a ton, uh, but let's talk about it just a little bit more. It's going to be a battle between Elliott and Surratt throughout the summer, it sounds like, and into the fall. Ross, I'll let you start with it. Greg, you did the story. Ross, you can start on the radio show. I mean, I just think it's a situation that Surratt needs to be the guy maybe in the fall, um, but who knows your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot in last week's podcast, and I would recommend going back and listening to that, kind of getting into the personality of each player and, and what you know we kind of expect out of each heading into this competition, heading into the offseason and into the fall. We got a chance to talk with both quarterbacks today for you know about five, six minutes each. Um, you know, and, and you get a chance to kind of get to know them better and get see what their perspective is. And you know, it's a it's a very hotly competitive competitive battle right now. Um, you've got kind of two different angles with Nathan, with Nathan Elliott kind of being the guy who showed he could win and his teammates really rallying, rallying behind him in those last couple games, uh, the win over Pittsburgh, uh, Western Carolina, and, and really playing pretty well against NC State and just coming off, um, you know, not, not being able to do enough to win at the end there. So I think that's worth something. And obviously both are going to get better. Ellie discussed about working on the deep ball and working on his leadership and just getting a better control of the offense. You know, Strat was more personable in his uh, in his interview session with us. It seemed like he had reflected more on what he needs to do to be a leader, what he needs to do to communicate better with his teammates, to be more open. Uh, I thought he had some 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 interesting comments about kind of reflecting on um, how it's tough to lose games and tough to be injured and things like that. And, 
and tough to just struggle at times. It was something he hadn't faced before and how he had to deal with that and work with Coach Heckendorf to get through that and having, you know, many months now to kind of think about that and work on that is going to be huge for his development. So you kind of saw some of that personal reflection, um, the sense that he's grown as a person and, and obviously uh, knows he needs to get better in certain areas, whether that's on the field and off the field and, and becoming a leader and a better teammate. And so I think all those things um, are going to play a role in who gets the job. I think like we've discussed, I think we agree that the program and the coaching staff feels that Strat has the most potential and is the guy for the future. And they kind of want him to go out and seize that role, giving his physical attributes. But um, you never know. It's all about winning games and, and being a leader and all that stuff plays a big role. So Elliot maybe has an advantage right now in that uh, standpoint. But um, yeah, I'll let Greg kind of take it over from there. I know he wrote a little story on it um, this this evening. Yeah, and I think Ross hit all the, the key points. And um, a couple of years ago, when, when Seth Luttrell took the offensive coordinator job, I guess back in 14, um, I had asked uh, Seth, you know, what do you think is the the most important trait for a quarterback in this system. Uh, and he said, well, you've got to be accurate, but you've also, more importantly, you have to be a great leader. And that's always kind of stuck with me. I mean, you you know that quarterbacks have to be good leaders, but uh, you know, to hear a coach say, you know, that's more important than all these other tangibles that we can measure uh, kind of you know, was, was enlightening a little bit. And so I've, I've talked to Larry about that before. And I asked him again about it today, just kind of like, you know, what, what do you think is the, the key stuff? And as Larry said, you know, you know accuracy is kind of a given. I mean, if, you, if you're not accurate, you're not going to play at this level. Uh, but then he kind of expanded on on leadership and how you've got to be a guy that can stand back there in the pocket and your guys trust you. They know that when things get rough, you're the rock behind them. And they're the guy, you're the guy that they can count on. Um and so I really think this offseason um, is kind of a, uh, an opportunity for both of these players to kind of embrace that leadership role. I think the fact that you know, both of the guys talked about being able to get live game reps last year really allowed them to adjust to the speed of the game. They got comfortable. They're not surprised by any of it anymore. and kind of settle in. As Ross said, you know, Chaz really talked about how uh, you know, when, when things weren't going right, he wasn't used to it, and he really kind of shut down. We talked about this on the podcast last week, but he really shut down and shut his teammates out. Um, and you can't do that as a quarterback. You know, and that's, that's his first year playing. So he, he understands that, that he didn't do it the right way. And so he's trying to uh, build on that and correct that and make sure that doesn't happen again. And Elliot's kind of saying, all right, look, when I got in the game, I realized all these guys were rallying around me. And that meant the world to me. And so I think both of them are not only improving the technical parts of their games, which is a critical component, but they're also trying to learn to be leaders. And I think that's really going to be the deciding factor in this competition. And we can talk about athleticism. We can talk about accuracy. We can talk about arm strength, all these different things. But whoever inspires their teammates the most, makes their teammates better, I think that's the guy that's going to be the starter for this team. Greg, sticking with you to sort of expand on something Ross started, and it's something we don't really talk about as far as the leadership, but how tough is it for these kids? And it's not just Chas Surratt or anybody for North Carolina. It's in general, really, in college sports. And even you see it in the pro sports with a guy like Cam Newton. These guys come in, they're used to winning. 
and they win and they never have failure. I think I saw something that uh, Surratt said, uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. He said something to the effect, I didn't really have to be a leader. We were always up 50 or, or killing yeah, people. He, yeah, I, 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 I mean, that was a great quote. He said, yeah, I didn't really have to communicate in high school. I didn't have to really talk and, and be that type of leader because we were always up by 50. I thought it was an awesome quote just showing how used to, <laughs> you didn't have to like rely on a lot of intangibles because they're always winning because they're just so physically dominant. Yeah, so so to that point, how difficult is that for these kids to make the change? I think you saw, and I mentioned Cam Newton, you saw the way he sort of acted when things didn't go his way in the pros. I mean, aside from Florida, but in JUCO, he was the best out there. They never lost. Auburn, you know what happened there. He gets to the pros, and then he's not the best guy on the field all the time, and he sort of acted silly at times. I mean, it's not unheard of greg so how difficult is it for kids to make that adjustment not being the best guy not being not winning all the time i mean it's got to be tough i would think oh yeah absolutely and i think cam is kind of an extreme case of that um and i think that just kind of speaks to his immaturity levels uh he had a lot of things kind of given to him and he was lifted up because he was so talented uh and when it finally kind of caught up with him he didn't exactly know how to deal with it most most kids are not that talented or that athletic or or that gifted, um, but but I thought you know, Surratt's comments were were very telling, and I, I think you have to give him props for acknowledging that, um, and that, that speaks to growth, and that's one of the things that uh, you know, we hear a lot about Blue Dawn and spring practice and and workouts with you know, Lou and strength and conditioning and kind of the grind of summer, um, and what all those things have in common is that the coaching staff, and all coaching staffs do this, but this is how Larry does it. Each of those components are made to be very tough because they're trying to create adversity. Because when you have adversity, then all of a sudden you're, you're uncomfortable. And what are you going to do when you're uncomfortable? You know, are you going to lead? Are you going to shut down? Are you going to cry? Are you going to go home? Are you going to rally the guys around you? Um, and that's why they do all these different things throughout the year so that when they get to the actual game, uh, you know, it's not foreign to them as much. Uh, and I think the fact that Chaz was a redshirt freshman um, playing in his first games, and he saw all this chaos going on around him with all these people get hurt, it probably made it very challenging, more so than what he's ever experienced before. And it all just kind of snowballed on him. Um, and so no, no doubt that it's very tough. You know, some kids, when things come easy, uh, you know, they're not used to that adversity. Other kids kind of grow up with adversity and they come from tough areas and you, you're losing a football game. Who cares? It's nothing, you know, right? I mean, I didn't have food for you know, days at a time when I was a kid. I think I can deal with a football game. Other kids are not that way. And so you just have to kind of learn to deal with that adversity. And that comes with growth and maturity. Um, and I, I think you know, everything we've heard, Chaz has made you know, incredible strides in that regard. He's saying all the right things. So we'll have to you see if that carries over, uh, but but it sounds good right now. Ross, let's let's talk about maybe uh, the guys that are going to protect him. I, I know I saw Billy Ross's name pop up on the depth chart, but it's tough to sort of look at the offensive line in spring when guys are out. But your thoughts on you know how they've come along? I mean, can you? Can you really come along and advance what you're trying to do when you've got guys that are going to be key guys that are missing time in spring or, you know, or it is a good opportunity for other guys to maybe show what they've got for future reference for the coaches in the fall. 
Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking at uh, Greg's premium scoop here. I guess Pritchett was uh, was out today. Greg, is that correct? Tyler Pritchett. I did not see him. I did not see. Yeah. Him. So I mean, basically, what you got the offensive line? You have, I think you have when William Sweet comes back, which you know I think everybody expects him to be back. He's kind of already walking around and and can do some stuff. Um, just not very contact. I think when you get him back, it's going to be uh, Sweet at left tackle and Charlie Hack at right tackle. And I think you really have to like what you got there. Those guys are huge. They're both over six seven, uh, three ten. They're athletic guys. They they aren't your big lumbering, you know, huge offensive linemen. They're your long athletic tackles who have put on muscle to an already athletic frame, and they both have experience. Heck, started eleven games. I'm working on a little piece with uh, on him to come out this week, and and Sweet was a pretty pretty highly touted recruit who's got some time and just struggled with an injury last season um inside i think is where the concerns are and there's a lot of names um but just not a lot of experience uh jj mccargo is out for the spring um with uh, obviously we can't really let you know what the injury is but he's out he's out with something that's not too serious and he should be back he started a couple games in replace of cam dillard uh this past season so you have an inexperienced center but a guy that i think coach cap and the offensive staff like there behind him is a walk-on and Jonathan Troll, who's been getting most of the reps at one. Um, and in the guard spot, I think it's where you'll see the most competition in fall camp. Nick Polino is the one player with the most experience. Um, not a super impressive, talented guy as we've seen so far, but he does have experience and he's proven, you know, he's worth um, getting starts for, from Cap's eyes. And then the other names behind him are guys like Billy Ross. Tyler Pritchett, Jonah Melton, um, just guys who haven't played. They're, they're either redshirt freshmen or, or redshirt sophomores that have been injured or just haven't gotten a shot yet because of guys in front of them. So that's where I think there are some concerns just because there's a lack of uh, development, a lack of experience, but there are definitely some bodies if everybody stays healthy. And I think another name to consider, which I kind of thought about tonight, was William is, is William Barnes, the uh, – you know, top 50, four-star offensive lineman out of Florida committed to, who signed with UNC in February. I think he can come in, and he's such a physical, um, you know, already developed in terms of his physicality. He can come in and really push these guys for a starting spot at guard and then eventually be a, a tackle um, later on in his college career. So I would, I would look for William Barnes to really compete um, inside. I think that's a very intriguing uh, name to follow uh, in the fall because I think he has the most talent of anybody UNC has. He just doesn't have the the knowledge and doesn't know all the plays and obviously another offensive scheme. But if I were Cap and Fedora, I'd get him going on some some basic things. We so can come in in June and and kind of be ready to go working with that offensive line. But it should be very interesting, like it always is with UNC's offensive line. But you have to like what they have at tackle. Um, some young guys, some young guys behind them like Marcus McKeith and Jordan Tucker who are big guys who haven't really played at all, but um, should be some nice pieces if, uh, if if there's some injuries on the outside. Yeah, maybe it'll be a flip from what it's been a few times. You know, a lot is expected, didn't really pan out. Maybe a year they go into not expecting as much. Maybe those guys can get it together. And you mentioned injuries. they got to stay healthy, and they got to yeah. be able to have some continuity and consistency with who's out there. And I think that's huge for this group, for this, uh, the way this offensive system runs, the offensive line is so important. 
Let's take a break. We're going to come back, do some rapid fire as spring football twists to the end. And uh, Ross wants to do rapid fire. We're doing rapid fire when we come back after this break. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. All right, let's go. Carolina football, uh, the three of us. Expected record. Ross, you're first. <laughs> I got to bring up the uh, the schedule. I think they win uh, I think they win six games and make a bowl. Um, let me bring up the schedule real quick, and I'll, I'll tell you which uh, It's not which rapid games. if you've got the research, man. Well, I mean, I'm trying to make it educated. Uh, okay, I think you know. I think the the four four games they start off with are, are crucial with Cal, East Carolina, UCF, and Pittsburgh. And if they can win uh, three of those, they can win seven games. But they only win two of those, they'll win uh, six. I think it's gonna be a, a a better team, but still not to the standard that Fedora set. Greg, your choice. Uh, what? Um... I'm it's confused rapid. as a rapid fire, so I'm I'm guessing the uh, record. Uh, yeah, you're guessing record. I, I guess I should have said, uh, Greg, rapid fire question. What's the record? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll sorry if I'm stumbling all over this. I'll say if six and six, seven and five. Uh, I think that's kind of what this team is is penciled in as. How important is beating state this year for everybody, Ross? <laughs> I mean. Super important, but I don't think I don't think Fedora is going to get fired if they lose the state. But I think uh, shifting some momentum and recruiting is big there, and uh, ending on a positive note is huge. Greg, what's better, seven and five with wins over State and Duke, or eight and four with losses to State and Duke? Seven and five with wins over State and Duke. Look, Larry Fedora is seven and ten in his six years at UNC against Duke State. East Carolina and Wake Forest. That is not acceptable to the Carolina fan base. Uh, and so I think if he's able to beat Duke and State this year, even if they go seven and five, people say, all right, we, we know it's going to be a little bit of a rebuilding year. He beat the teams we need him to beat. Now we can take a step forward. If you go eight and four and lose to those teams, uh, all of a sudden that record gets even worse and there's going to be some angst uh, for, for old Larry. Angst. That's a good word I think- for it. I think uh, beating Virginia Tech is becoming super more important, too, in terms of recruiting. Uh, and, and that rivalry is, is building. And I think eyeing that game is huge for kind of gauging where the program is moving forward. I, I don't Have you disagree. seen the, the record, the, the, the points differential in those games the last two years? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, one was in a hurricane, Greg. And the other oh, one was right. uh, an unfortunate uh, <laughs> beat down up there in Blacksburg. They got they got unlucky uh, this year in Blacksburg, right? I just don't even know what to say there. Uh, it was a lot to a little, and it's unacceptable. But I think that Carolina fans and can stomach losing football games and recruits to Virginia Tech a hell of a lot better and easier than they can doing it to NC State. And I think that's why State and Duke, State especially Duke also, Duke's got to be a given for Carolina football program. Yeah. 
Um, I agree. All right. Breakout player on offense, Greg. Uh, I'll go wide receiver, Diami Brown. I know that's probably Ross's pick too. Uh, he's he's running with the ones, and he's the kid that um, uh, he, he's long, he's athletic, he's he's very agile, quick. I mean, all the adjectives you want to give to a wide receiver, uh, he looks the part, and uh, he needs to fill out some. He'll do that throughout his career, but the fact that he's running with the ones right now, opposite of Anthony Ratliff Williams. I think bodes well for what he can provide to this offense next next fall. And I'll add to that, I, uh, Elliot brought up Diami Brown. He's the only wide receiver he mentioned today when I kind of asked him about kind of standout weapons. So I think that was very uh, pointing. Um, I mean, I think if Jordan Brown, Jordan uh, Adams enrolls, I think he can have just as much an impact as Brown. Uh, he's more of a polished receiver coming out of high school. If he does enroll, um, I think he can be – a top three receiver for UNC. I think he's just so polished and athletic. He can make an impact um, regardless of uh, that he, he missed spring practice. Watch uh, yeah. your dad's Newsome too. Yeah, I, I think Brown is the guy. I think Jordan Adams, as Ross uh, put up the tweet that I sent to him from Green Yeah, I was, I was a, I'll give you the assist on that one, Tommy. Uh, there were a ton of pro scouts there just to watch batting practice for Green Hope. Uh, Jordan Adams would look good in Carolina blue, I'm sure, but there's going to be a lot of money he's going to have to say no to. I have a feeling uh, coming up this summer. Uh, breakout player on defense, Ross. Um, <laughs> I think as I asked Greg these today before we did this, um, he's going to go. I'll, I'll let Greg go with his guy he told me about earlier. I will go with, I think, Taman Fox. I know he's a name. He's had some sacks already, but I think with Malik Carney getting a lot more attention, uh, heading into his senior season, I, I think Taman Fox can be a power on the outside. Um, he kind of has it all in terms of potential and athleticism. I think this junior year he can uh, he can really make an impact. Greg, maybe, uh, maybe I, I, I assume Ross and you know your answers, so you can't say the same one. So, Greg, give me one. Yeah, look at Ross being a team player. He he totally could have uh, stolen my guy, but he didn't. So, so props to Ross. Uh, CJ Cotman. I mean, he he's a kid that. Uh, you know, a lot of people around the program are high on. Uh, he, he's been running with the ones at cornerback opposite of KJ Sells. Uh, some have said that he's, he's possibly the, the best cornerback UNC's had this spring. And so I think he's the guy that's going to turn some heads. Very athletic kid. Uh, played you know, late in the year last year for whatever reason. Uh, but, but he's going to be ready to go. Y'all think the young guys are going to be as good as you think? When was the last time uh youth a guy like Diamond Brown, a, a true freshman, tore it up at Carolina. Great. Uh Hakeem Nix did as a freshman. I mean Quinshaw Davis had a good freshman year. Uh, um I mean Ryan Switzer granted he did most of his work at a punt return. But I think you know, as Buck always says, the, the further you get away from the ball, the more opportunity there is because you don't have to be as physically imposing. And I think with both Brown and Cotman uh, because you are, uh, you, your athleticism really stands out. You don't have to be the biggest guy, the strongest guy, but your athleticism makes those plays for you. Uh, and so I think, yeah, those positions more than other spots, you you can you can make a name for yourself. I think for Carolina to have seven, eight wins, uh, somebody on that defensive line needs to step up and and be borderline first team All ACC, whether it's. Tamon Fox or Carney or Aaron Crawford, somebody on that uh, 
that has to be the breakout player on defense, I think. Yeah, uh, and speaking of that, Tommy, I, I've, I'm, I've got a story on Aaron Crawford coming this week, but I asked Fedora about Crawford today, and he said Crawford's probably had the best spring of anybody. And that they've actually used cut-ups of Crawford during spring practice in the team meeting saying, hey, this is the type of effort you need to be giving every single time. Uh, and so and maybe Crawford's that guy. He's got 22 starts. I mean, he's he's tied for second on the team in, in career starts, if you can believe that. So uh, maybe it's his, his time to shine. Yeah, and I think you got to win the trenches. you got to figure out how to win the trenches. And Fedora's teams, quite frankly, have not done that. Uh, with any remote consistency in his time at Carolina. Uh, Ross, biggest surprise, I assume, uh, on the team uh, this spring, this coming fall, whatever you think. Give me the biggest <laughs> surprise thus far. Um, That's a tough one. Um, You know, I think – I think I think the freshman wide receivers making a huge impact. We've already talked about that. But that's kind of a an easy one, easy out. Um, I think the defensive line being a you know a big time you know top five defensive line in the in the conference and really kind of silencing the critics of, of past years with all the veteran uh, veteran experience they have back. And, and I think really two strong pure pass rushers on the outside. Uh, I think will surprise people and. You know, they've all UT's always had trouble stopping the run. I think um, with what they have up front this season in the second year under Coach Adams, they'll be a, a, a nice surprise to the Tar Heels. Greg, your choice for biggest surprise? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, the the running game. Um, I still have a lot of questions about the offensive line, uh, but there's some some positive news there, as we talked about. And then, I mean, just just talking to people, Michael Carter's had a fantastic spring. Javante Williams has shown up uh, and, and looks to be a better option than they thought he could be this early. Jonathan Sutton has continued to build on his his first year as a running back. Jordan Brown is you know, probably the the leader in that that position group room. Um, so a lot of uh, positive news from pretty much everybody expected to contribute. Um, and so, you know, even, you know, Antoine Branch is a big, big lumbering back uh, who can give them a, a different look than what they had last year. So uh, I think you know, where they were so limited last year uh, in the backfield, that's not going to be the case this year. And that should allow for, for a lot of success. And that's with the caveat, of course, that the offensive line is, is better than what it was last year, even though they lost four starters. Uh Ross, uh, one of your questions here is biggest disappointment. I hate to do that at this point in the season, but since you put it on the uh, brainstorming ideas, I'm going to ask you the question. <laughs> you and you only. Biggest disappointment of the spring. Is it uh, you and Coach Fedora's burgeoning relationship in post-game interviews? I mean, it, seriously, though, have you been disappointed at all in anything you've seen thus far in the spring? I yeah, I mean, I kind of meant these for kind of looking ahead to the season, kind of making some projections uh, when I when I put those questions up. Um, you know, I, I think there's I, I think there's a lot of questions at linebacker. There's just so much youth, and, and losing Andre Smith was a huge hit to what the coaches thought they would have heading through the season. You know, you would think with Andre Smith in the middle, Cole Holcomb on the outside, and then a young linebacker on the other side. They'd have a pretty good linebacker group, and a wrench was thrown to that plan when Smith moved um, 
uh, opted to, to enter the NFL draft. So I think, you know, as good as maybe the defensive backs can be with some experience there, some nice young cornerbacks, a, a good offensive line, some pass protection, there's a huge question mark in the middle at linebacker um, that I think will, will be an issue uh, definitely at the beginning of the season as some of those young guys get their feet wet. Yeah, Greg, is that the, the biggest question mark position for this team? I, I think it probably is by far. That um, quarterback. Uh, well, we know what they've got there. The question is doing it, but do we know what Carolina has at linebacker, Greg? Because, um, like Ross said, I mean, these guys just haven't done it. I think you need a breakout from Dom Ross or Jonathan Smith or maybe somebody we haven't talked about. Um, so sort of rank the question mark positions as quickly as you can. Um, I'll start with linebacker, offensive line second. I'd put quarterback third, but Greg, you go ahead. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. Um, if, if we're breaking it down even further, I would say the interior of the offensive line may be my biggest concern just because I agree with you that that winning the trenches is most important. Um, and I just think if you look at the the interior right now, uh, I think there's a lot of question marks there. And you know, maybe J.J. McCargo can, uh, can come back and, and live up to – kind of the reputation that he's he's gotten. Um, we haven't seen it on the field yet. And then maybe you know, Billy Ross continues to shine and uh, Polino grows up some and maybe Jenna Melton uh, is, is healthy now and can live up to his, his billing come out of high school. But still, those are a lot of ifs. Um, so I think that area for me is the biggest concern. But then, then linebacker uh, second for sure, with there being so many question marks there, and then your quarterback being being number three. Ross, I'll go the other way. Strongest position to the weakest for Carolina, in your opinion? It's uh, a great question. Uh, I think, man, I think wide receiver with Ratliff Williams and then some, you know, guys like uh, the, the two freshmen, Daz Newsome, Bo Corrales. And I'm forgetting the senior who's injured who's coming back. Um, his name Thomas is Thomas Jackson. Me. Yeah, Thomas Jackson. We haven't mentioned his name at once. And I know speaking with Gunnar Brewer, you know, he's a guy they can rely on. So that's nice for that group. I think there's a lot of names there. I think defensive line will be next. I think um, running back and secondary, defensive secondary would be kind of next in line. I think, you know, they got some talent at running back and it's the position that's kind of, you know, if you can hit a hole and have a little speed, you can, you can be an impact player at that position. And then I think there's some experience at safety. and some talent we've seen at cornerback and behind that is the groups that Greg just named, uh, you know, offensive line, tier offensive line, quarterback and linebacker. Good stuff, guys. Uh, I don't have anything left. Ross, you got anything left we can hit before we get out of here? Cause this is the last podcast during spring practice. Yeah. It's exciting times. I think we touched it all. We can't get into the <laughs> stuff we talked about before though. No, we're not going to go into anything else. Uh, Greg, anything to expect, uh, any availability or any coverage coming out of the last few days of practice? I think I saw where the last actual spring football practice is Monday now. That's correct. They've got uh, three more practices left. Saturday is going to be a scrimmage. It'll be their final scrimmage. It was not open to the public, so it does not count as a spring game. Uh, but that's that's it. They wrap up Monday, and uh, that'll be it for, for football practice until that first week of August. 
and uh, the doldrums of summer are fastly approaching. That'll do it for this edition. Greg Ross, appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.